are so, so honored to have you with us. And I want to begin the sermon this morning with just a few key words like shut down, stalemate, impasse, standoff. You probably think I'm talking about the government, don't you? Well, I'm not talking about our government per se. Rather, what I'm describing to you right now is what happens when people like you and me try to reconcile the reality of an all-loving, all-powerful God with the reality of the pain and the suffering that we see in our world many, many times. Certainly historically. Go back to World War II and the Holocaust. 11 million people exterminated for no reason. But even more currently, maybe closer to home is some pain or suffering that you are going through right now. And it is very, very tough for us as human beings to reconcile the reality or the concept even of an all-loving, all-powerful God with this notion of pain and suffering. One of the great thinkers of our time happened to be an atheist by the name of Richard Dawkins. Now Dawkins, whatever you want to believe about him, is a brilliant brilliant mind. I disagree with a great deal of what he says, but you can't argue the man's intellect. This is how Dawkins frames the question of suffering. He says, we humans have purpose on the brain. Show us almost any object or process, and it's hard for us to resist the why question. It is an almost universal delusion. Wow. Thanks, Richard. Appreciate that one. Now, I think it's interesting, as I said, I disagree with what Dawkins says, but I think he frames the question really, really well, that we all ask the why question. Why does suffering exist? Why is it even out there? But I think we have to also understand that how we approach the reality of pain and suffering over and against the reality of an all-loving and an all-powerful God also causes us to a deeper question because the why question is one that we kind of ask from the outside looking in but when it's our pain when it's our suffering we're not so much concerned about why in that moment as we are how how do I get through this where is God when I hurt and it causes us if we're really honest with ourselves if we're really honest with God to ask some very very hard questions. I think it's interesting that Dawkins puts this so bluntly, but his conclusion requires just as much faith, if you will, and he brings very, very little reason or evidence to the conversation. For him to say that it's a universal delusion is actually a statement of faith. How does he know that it's a delusion? I mean, that, that's a kind of a, a forceful, belligerent way to put it, I kind of prefer not only the tone, but the message of Christian theologian John Stott. John Stott was a brilliant, brilliant theologian, and this is what Stott says. The fact of suffering undoubtedly constitutes the single greatest challenge to the Christian faith and has been in every generation. Its distribution and degree appear to be entirely random and therefore unfair. Sensitive spirits, like you and me, Sensitive spirits ask if it can possibly be reconciled with God's justice and love. 
You know, I don't care how big and bad you are, how tough you think you may be, when you hurt and when you suffer, you are a sensitive spirit that Stott is talking about here. No matter how strong you are, no matter how tough you are, no matter how much you've accomplished, when you suffer, when you hurt, you become one of those sensitive spirits. That's just a part of the human condition. And there's something inside all of us that needs to make sense of pain, of suffering when we go through that. And in the time that we have left today, I want us to humbly but confidently take a swing at doing just that. Now, we're going to go to the pages of Scripture because we believe that God's Word is reliable, that it is absolutely authoritative in what it says. We have challenges in how we handle it and apply it, but we believe that it is the Word of God. And in Romans chapter 8, the Bible shows us how to begin addressing some of the tough questions about suffering, about when we hurt, when we go through life challenges. I want to encourage you to the program that you took out just a second ago to take that out and take some notes as we go through this today because no matter where you are today, this message will be or is relevant to you. Again, as I said, if you walked in today and you are currently going through suffering, this message is for you. If you walked in today and things are pretty cool and copacetic, this message will be for you at some point in this life. And in Romans chapter 8, the Bible begins to help us address kind of the big high altitude question, why is there suffering? Why is there suffering even in the world? This is what the Bible says. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in the hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. So in the big picture, the fact of the matter is that the world is in bondage to this thing called sin. You got it. I've got it. All God's children got sin. As a matter of fact, this would be a great time right now, whether you know the person sitting next to you or not, with passion and enthusiasm, tell them, you got sin. <laughs> now, let me say this. We, we, could, we could sit down and, and have a cup of espresso and discuss what is sin, what is not sin, but the reality is we've all got it. You've got it. I've got it. I had a conversation this past week with a 22-year-old guy who's a great guy who has a two-year-old nephew. And this relatively new uncle was so excited when this little baby was born into his family. His brother and his wife had the baby. And he was like, whoa, he couldn't believe that he had seen this, this baby come into the world. And he's watched the baby grow up. And now that the baby no longer needs diapers, he's willing to babysit. And I was having this conversation with this 22-year-old guy. And he said, Mac, he goes, it's the craziest thing. My, my nephew's about two, almost three. This kid, Mac, all of a sudden is mean. Like, I'm babysitting him, and I don't have to change his diapers. But, like, I'll say, hey, don't go near that plug. And he will look at me and just kind of walk over there and start to stick something in the plug. And I'm going, what happened to this child? And I just looked at him, and I said, 
wait till it's your own. How many of you remember the first time your child, the little angel, bundle of joy that you had prayed for, ushered into this world, that you brought home from the hospital in a new smocked outfit, the first time that little angel looked back at you and with malice and intentionality lied through her teeth. Do you remember that moment, parents? At that point, you're kind of like, she just lied. She, she's, listen, they all do it. I did it. You did it. Nobody had to teach them. It's a part of our human condition. We have inherited this predisposition. All of creation is affected by sin. It's there. It's the reality of the world in which you and I live. Sin is real. Tell your neighbor, sin's real. Now, by the way, that's not just your neighbor's sin. That's your sin, too. It's real, and it's there. And we have inherited this predisposition. One time my son Joseph was in the middle school years playing basketball, and I picked him and a couple of friends up from basketball practice. And as they got into my truck, they had been engaged in this really heated conversation because they were kind of starting to notice that some of the guys in their grade we're starting to really separate physically. You know, about sixth or seventh grade, when, when some guys are still kind of coming into their own and they're still, you know, boys more or less physically, some guys are starting to shave their knuckles. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, they've just, got, they've just got that genetic predisposition. And as they were having this conversation in my truck, they had found out that a couple of the guys in their school, their dads had played in the NFL. So, I mean, these guys, were, these guys had a genetic predisposition to, to some greater potential physicalities than these guys that were in my truck. And I kind of listened to the conversation for a few minutes. And, and finally, I, I looked back in my rearview mirror. I said, guys, here's the deal. Genetics help everything. And they were kind of, yeah, Mr. Richard. And there's a moment of silence. And all of a sudden, my son Joseph looks across the front seat at me and he goes, thanks a lot. But just as we inherit physical characteristics from our parents, our grandparents and before, we also inherit spiritual characteristics. This world has inherited the spiritual reality of sin, and that's why suffering exists. Now, you'll ask the question, and it's a valid question, why didn't God just make it so we couldn't sin? Why didn't God just create us where the sin switch was automatically disconnected? And that's a great question, but it betrays a gross misunderstanding of what sin is. Because, you see, sin is not primarily about what we do. Sin is primarily about what we desire. Sin is not primarily, it does manifest itself in what we do, but it's ultimately about what we desire. And God created us for relationship. He created us to desire a relationship with Him. But in order for it to be a true relationship, He had to give us the option. How many of you remember, or maybe right now you are in love, or you've been in love before in your life? Let me just see a show of hands. Man, you, you know what that's like, when, when, especially when you first kind of go, oh. 
Like, you, you know. Like, guys, when you drive over to her house to pick her up and the butterflies in, in your very lean six-pack abs become eagles and, and they start really fluttering. Now, some of that may be because her dad is home, but whether, whatever the reason may be, the butterflies are real. It's kind of, whoa, man, it's just, you just could not wait to lay eyes on her. Girls, you could not wait to lay lips on him. But you had to have the choice to engage in that relationship. If I had said, Julie, good news, you're going to love me the rest of your life. And she had said, okay, where do we go? It sounds like it'd be great and easy, but that's not a relationship. That's a robot. And God created us for relationship. And so when we choose, and as humanity as a whole, when we chose to sin, when we chose to desire our own way over God's way, sin entered the world. And the world is now infected with sin. That, that's the reality. So why is sin there? It's because of sin. Second question that the Bible addresses, when will suffering end? What, when will this finally be made right? In the big picture, let's go back to the classic example of the Holocaust. 11 million people exterminated. Adolf Hitler commits suicide and escapes what we would call justice from a human perspective. There, there's a part of that that's deeply unsatisfying. We would have loved to have seen him on trial. We would have loved to have seen justice done. But this is what the Bible says. Also from Romans 8. We know. Tell your neighbor, I know. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we who are Christians, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. All of creation is groaning as in the pains of childbirth. All of creation is still very much in process on the way to the redemption of our bodies in Christ. The redemption of this world, all of creation in Jesus Christ. The world, the creation is groaning as in the pains of childbirth. I'm curious, how many of you have ever seen any creature ever born? You've been in the room when a child was born or maybe you grew up on a farm or something. You, you've seen it happen before. I was nine years old and we had gone to visit family in South Louisiana. I grew up in Houston. I was a city kid my whole life. And we had gone to visit our family in Eunice, Louisiana. And they had a little farm outside of the major city of Eunice, Louisiana. And we went out there one day to ride horses and to see livestock and just kind of get out in the country. And while we were there, one of my Uncle Rex's mama cows came due to deliver her calf. And everybody got so excited because all the city slickers from Houston were going to see this calf be born. And I got excited. I was like, man, I've never seen that before. Nine years old. 
And so all of the men gathered in the cow's stall. She was kind of over on her side. And, and my brothers and I were kind of up against the back wall of the stall going, what in the world? You can see the women outside the stall going, mm -mm, this is not good. And the men began helping this mama cow to calve. And I remember watching this as a nine-year-old kid just going, oh my gosh. Now, at nine years old, I didn't have the words to process what I was going through and what I was seeing. But in retrospect, now that I'm 30, I, I, can, I can tell you that it was singularly the most beautiful, awesome, horrific thing I've ever seen in my life. And that doesn't even come close to what it was like when my own children were born. But it is. Birth is a beautiful, grotesque thing all at the same time. You, you, you just can't even believe it. Like, I like the stork story better. I mean, I'm just telling. But at the same time, there's part of you that's just like, this is life. This is, this is new life. Come into this world. But the process is painful. The process requires groaning. And all of creation, including you and me, is in process. And we're groaning. We're we're waiting for the redemption of our bodies. And the gospel of Jesus Christ tells us that when He returns, everything, everything will be made new. Everything will be made whole. Everything will be made right. Everything in the fullness of time. That's why Revelation tells us that when He returns, there will be no more tears, no more death, no more dying, no more sickness. But we're not there yet. But we have this hope. Now, hope, if you can see it, is no hope at all. Like if you said, man, I hope Mac wears a blue jacket today. Request granted. But if you said, I hope Mac wears a brown jacket next weekend. Wait and see. Tune in. We'll see. Hope means that it hasn't happened yet, but Jesus promises that it will. It will be made right. All of creation will be put right in Christ. There will be no more disease, no more ravaging of our bodies, no more ravaging of our minds. No more ravaging of our hearts and our emotions. That in Christ, everything will be redeemed. Third question that Romans 8 gets at, who suffers? You know, we kind of look at it from the high altitude philosophical point of view with our cup of espresso and our black turtleneck on this crisp fall morning. But what about when it's me? What about when I suffer? This is what Romans says. In the same way, the Spirit of God helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things, 
God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. I just want to make sure that you don't miss that. That the Holy Spirit of God prays for you by name, by need. No matter where you are, no matter what your hurt, no matter what your pain, no matter what your suffering, when you don't know what to pray, which is real suffering, isn't it? You don't have to raise your hand, but if you've ever been there before and you didn't know, like you start to, like you're hurting so deeply and so profoundly, and you think, I've, I got to talk to you, and, and the prayers don't even hit the seat, you don't even know what to say. The Holy Spirit of God intercedes for you on your behalf, talking to God, praying for what we don't even know how to pray for. That blows my mind. Now, some people will say, especially when trying to help, and it comes from a good place, they will say, listen, I know you're hurting, but just you need to know that God will not give you more than you can handle. Have you ever heard that before? I hope you've never said it before. Because it sounds great. It's just not true. Like, what? I, it's not true. God will absolutely let more come into your life than you can handle. So that you will press into Him. Because remember, this is all about relationship. The Bible tells us that we will not be tempted beyond what we can bear. But we will absolutely encounter more than we can handle on our own. And it's when we encounter more than we can handle on our own that God invites us to press into Him who can absolutely handle it no matter what it is. Now, <clears throat> some of you are thinking to yourself right now, that is such a cute sermon, preacher. You've clearly done your homework. You even used an atheist quote. Way to go. Talked about theology. You've done a little Bible. But, but you don't know what suffering really is. Well, you're right. I'm married way over my head. God has blessed us. We've, things are cool. But I do remember being 12 years old. And my parents getting a divorce when they had promised us it would never happen. I don't mean like the promise was implicit. I mean, my mom and dad told us, you never have to worry about that. And then when I was in the seventh grade, my dad hit the eject button and said, I'm out. And I remember being a 12-year-old kid in Houston. <clears throat> and my world going upside down. Not knowing what day it was. So, I, I do understand a little bit about this firsthand. It's, it's not just theory to me. And I do know that God causes all things to work together for good. For those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. Because I know for a fact my parents' divorce was not God's will, quote-unquote. He allowed it to happen, but it was not His perfect will. 
He didn't cause it to happen. There's a very big distinction between those two things. But even something like that that was outside of His will, He has been able to use and redeem for His purposes in my life, the lives of my two brothers, my mom's life, and countless others that He has used something outside of His perfect will for His purposes. So will God give you more than you can handle? He will absolutely allow it to happen. But He will fill in the gaps. He invites you like he invites me to press into him. I shared with our church family about seven weeks ago. Julie and I dropped our elder child at college. It's the first time that had happened for us. It was a gut-wrenching experience. I hated it. Miserable. Awful. Terrible. Have a nice day. But that really, for me personally, it was not fun. Now, it was good that Emily was going to college. It was good that she had gotten to that point in her life and, and it was time to go and all those, that's, that's all fine. But I'm just telling you personally, it was not fun. And yet in the middle of that not funness, Julie and I had the opportunity to go through that together. Julie and I had the opportunity to pray through that together and to, to kind of lean into each other a little bit. Coming home on the airplane. I've never before in my life worn sunglasses on an airplane. <laughs> I would get it together. Julie would lose it. Like, would you please stop it? She'd get it together. I'd lose it. But we did it together. And I think that's a huge part of why God allows suffering. God doesn't cause suffering. He doesn't create the suffering. But from time to time, He chooses to allow it for His purposes so that we press into Him. But there's one more part of the answer to the why question. There's one more part to the answer of why God allows suffering. Why part two? Why do I suffer? It's one thing to say, why is there suffering in the world? It's entirely another to say, why do I suffer? Check this out from Romans chapter 8. Now, if we are children of God, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in His sufferings in order that we may also share in His glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. Paul says, look, suffering is real. It happens. I'm not telling you that it's a delusion. I'm not telling you like... The Buddha says that you need to choke down all desires in order to avoid suffering. I'm telling you, suffering is real. But so is glory. And so is redemption. And so is hope in Christ. All of creation is hoping for that glory. And I love what he says there, that our present sufferings do not compare to the glory that will be revealed in us. Yes, it hurts. Don't think for one second. This is not about denial. 
But it is about the hope that the glory of God is greater than the suffering of ours. And the promise that it is. But I love what it says that the world is waiting, eagerly expecting the glory of God to be revealed in us. This world needs to see us lean into God and Him sustain us when we suffer. This world needs to see the glory of God revealed in us and through us and in spite of us. So that when we hurt, we don't fold. We don't cave in. You know, Vince Lombardi famously told his Green Bay Packers that fatigue makes cowards of us all. I wonder this morning if you're tired. Sometimes we get tired. Sometimes we don't feel like going on. We feel like enough is enough. If you've been around here any amount of time at all, you know that I'm a pretty big Winston Churchill fan. Now, Churchill, to be sure, had, had his flaws. But it was Churchill who originally said, if you're going through hell, keep going. Some of you thought that was a country song. <laughs> country music songwriter, Winston Churchill. If you're going through hell, keep going. Now, I don't use the word hell profanely or in a flippant manner because all hell is is the complete absence of God. And the fact is that in this world, there are places, there are occasions, there are situations for reasons beyond our ability to grasp, but for reasons that God holds back his power, that God withholds his ability to heal, his ability to make right, his promise of justice. And he holds those things back for his purposes to be lived out. But he promises that his purposes will prevail. And so this morning, I want to conclude a little differently than we normally do. I want to ask you just to bow your heads for a moment. And if you're here today and you're hurting, I want us to just have a time of prayer together as a church. If you are currently suffering, if someone close to you is suffering and you're hurting because of that, As a church family right now, we're just going to pray together. Our Father and our God, we come to you as the God of all comfort. And God, we freely admit that we don't get it always. God, we need you. Right now, Father, in Jesus' name, I ask that 
you would comfort the hurting. God, the suffering. Father, we ask for your healing. In Jesus' name, for his glory. And, God, we trust you. God, I pray right now for that man, for that student, that woman who right now is hurting, that you would comfort as only you can. God, that this moment you would reveal yourself undeniably, cause them to feel your presence in their lives around them. God, we worship you. When we hurt, when we're healed, when we win or when we lose, God, we will worship you and trust that you are good. And we will put our hope and our trust in you. Father, we pray this prayer in the name of Jesus. Amen. ask you just to remain in a spirit of prayer for another moment. And in this moment, I want you to think about somebody that you know who is suffering. Someone who this moment is hurting. you to pray for them silently right where you're sitting pray a prayer of comfort for them on their behalf Father, we, we again lift these prayers to you because we trust you, because we need you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.